Yeah, what else are we going to start with this week but Little Prince? Not only is it a great song, DMSR, by the way, from 1999. If you don't know it, know it. Um, we're talking about creature features this week, and that qualifies as a monster jam. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're kind of shaking your head like, oh, okay, that kind of fits, but maybe not. But uh, it does, because actually I was having a hard time picking a song, and then we got that terrible news about Prince, then, you know, everybody's playing Prince music uh, nonstop as, uh, is totally understandable, and uh, we got to get that on there. Love that song, and it fits, because yes, it's a monster jam. Welcome. This is the Fright Club Podcast. I'm Hope Madden. And I'm George Wolf, and we are from madwolf.com. Check it out for all your movie blogs and movie reviews and uh, our special concentration on the horror genre. We love it. You do, too. Thanks for checking out our weekly Fright Club podcast, and uh, last week we did it live, so some thanks to uh, Dish Out. That's right. Well, thanks to the Gateway Film Center, as always, for let, for hosting our uh, Fright Club Live. We did the best Korean horror, which is one that we've been looking forward to doing for a long time, and um, and then we screened A Tale of Two Sisters, which is a magnificent horror film and so glorious to watch on the big screen, and I didn't get as much pushback as I thought I was going to, because let's be honest, so Old Boy was number two, and let's be honest... Although I adore A Tale of Two Sisters, uh, Old Boy is a better film. It's okay. a masterpiece, in okay. fact. Although Tale of like Two Sisters that. is a brilliant movie. It's a brilliant movie. But Old Boy is a masterpiece. I like that concession. Now, you didn't make that last week. That's why there was a little bit I think bit of... I kind of did. Uh... But I gave Tale of Two Sisters the number one slot because I stretched the genre to fit Old Boy in. I don't think it's a horror movie. You know, it's nice if you can... When you just go through life, just making your own rules, just well, willy nilly. You know, how I does don't that make feel? My own rules, like at the doctor's <laughs> office, but it's my list, and the, today I can make these rules. today I'll, I'll observe red lights. Tomorrow, maybe not. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, I like that because I was giving you a little hmm about old boy not being number one. But uh, I like that week after maybe you had some time to think about it. I think I said basically <laughs> the same thing last week. That Alrighty. Old Boy is a better movie, but it's not necessarily horror. The key point here is I'm I, right. that I finally got some backup <laughs> on how Sue. Again, John, thank you for that, John Dean. And we also have to thank uh, Gordon. Yeah. Uh, Bright Clubber Gordon, who came out uh, to the live show, and he was wearing a suit. He had a very snappy. He yes, looked good. Suit Made on, the rest tie of you on. Slubs look terrible. <laughs> he did thanks, Gordon. Anyway, uh, <laughs> no, he posted a very cool video on the Columbus Horror Society on Facebook, and it was a breakdown, uh, sort of a scene by scene or shot by shot uh, breakdown of what makes Jun Ho Bong. Such a great director. Yeah, and he he was on our list. He did uh, the host. He directed the host, which could also be is also a brilliant creature feature. But he's done. I mean, and he did Snowpiercer. He did Snowpiercer. Awesome he did movie. Mother. Yeah. I mean, he did the, this. I mean, he's he's just an amazingly talented and really really versatile director. Because really, of all of his films, the only one that would be full on horror would be uh, the host, which is also quite comical and and exceptional. But I mean, his skill is amazing, amazing. And this video uh, centers on memories of murder. Uh, another great movie that he did, and it's it's just a, a a great, you know, deconstruction of what can separate a great director from another. Shows like that, I yeah. love. Yeah. I adore. It's so shows so like good. That. So again, yeah. you can check that out on the Columbus uh, Horror Society. K I L L. Yeah, yeah. So uh, always good stuff on there. So thank you for everybody for coming out. Our next Fright Club live event is going to be May 11th. Correct. Yes, it's going to be our first double feature. Woo! Woo! We're very excited because we're going to screen Kill List followed by 
Ben Wheatley's new film, High Rise. Do we have a rule that after you say kill list, there has to be a pause, and then we say, thank Thank you. you. There it is. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're going to have Ben Wheatley's kill list, and then his new film. High Rise, which is not a horror movie, but it's still, it's super awesome, and and anything, you know, it's an adaptation of a Ballard novel, which means it's not fun, it's not (laughs) upbeat. (laughs) No, we got to see it about, oh, a month or so ago. Yeah, we got to see it at the um, sci-fi uh, marathon that they have here in Columbus at the Drexel Theater. Yeah, and uh, it's very interesting. Not a horror movie, but definitely deals in some big themes. You know, it's got some... an apocalyptic kind of a feel about yeah, it. There's death, dystopian. there's murder. Yeah, a little dystopian thing. Mm-hmm. It's going to be our first <laughs> double feature. Uh, May 11th, we'll start with Kill List, thank you, and then High Rise. So that is going to be good. Looking forward to that. So please mark it down on the calendar. Make it out if you can. We'll have more coming up about that. But we got to get to the main event here because we've got a lot to talk about. One film in particular that on this list that we have not ever included uh, on the list, and we have a lot to say. We both have somewhat connections to the movie, some interesting stories about it. We'll get to that. But uh, today's countdown is Creature Features, and we'll start with number five. This is a movie that I think I've lobbied to have on different lists and have never made it past the gatekeeper that you are. <laughs> so, uh, But it's one of my favorites. Don't fav- get me wrong, I love this movie. It's one of my favorites and one of our favorite directors uh, from 1986, David Cronenberg's The Fly. There is a limit, even to the imagination. Something went wrong, Seth. When you went through, something went wrong. Oh, no. What's happening to me? Am I dying? Oh, no. A fly got into the transmitter pod with me that first time when I was alone. Uh, I'm afraid! Don't be afraid! No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Help me. Please. Help me. Yeah, this is obviously a remake, a reimagining of the famous Vincent Price uh, mm-hmm. movie, The Fly, mm-hmm. which apparently he liked somewhat, I guess... Cronenberg or Price? No, Vincent Price. Uh, before he died, he let uh, Jeff Goldblum know that he liked it to a point, and then he thought it went too far. Because at the time, it was pretty, oh, yeah. it was pretty gross out. Well, you know, you can, you can count on Cronenberg to go a little too far. Yeah, especially with the body horror. That's why we love him. <laughs> especially with the body horror. Yes. And once uh, the fly becomes Brundle, or once uh, Brundle, Seth Brundle, starts becoming Brundlefly, oh, my God. it really gets, yeah. Oh, it definitely does. Well, you know, in that last scene where... Where uh, you know it it takes the other machine with it, and so it's just this giant big, and with those huge yeah. eyes, it is just the most yeah. tragic thing. Yeah, it is. And uh, also, you know, talk about Cronenberg uh, and his let's. Yeah, let's. Uh, he's got a, a cameo in this one though, the gynecologist. Mm. Uh, but um, <laughs> the the body. Yeah, I know, scary, isn't it? <laughs> the uh, body uh, images that always seem to permeate a lot of his movies. Even in this one, beyond what happens to uh, Seth Brundle, uh, Jeff Goldblum's character, he even talks about what's happening to him on a personal level, like from its viewpoint. He talks about, what is the disease thinking? What is the disease doing to me? Which is a weird way to look at it. It is. Very scientific, which I think, you know, I mean, I think that this is... uh I, I think in this film you can see that Cronenberg himself is sort of Brundlefly. He's he's sort of you can I mean he, he seems to take a very scientific um, uh, approach, a very non sentimental certainly approach to horror and, and in particular body horror. And I think that that's, but he's still I mean you love Jeff Go, you love Seth Brundle, you love oh yeah, him. 
Well, he took a very unsentimental approach to what was happening to him. Yeah, as he because re- he's a scientist. A scientist, records it, you know, keeps the little bits of his body that mm. are flaking off like his ear, you know, and he talks to himself and he talks about what's happening. And, and really, at the time, that was sort of a, not controversial, but it was a tough choice um, to get confirmed Jeff Goldblum in the lead. I guess the studio didn't want, he wasn't a big star. No, he wasn't. Um, and, but and, he was perfect opposite. Um, Gina Davis, because they look just alike. Well, and they didn't want her either. Oh, well, that's uh, not, just crazy. Not only that, she wasn't a big star, but they were a couple at the time. Yeah. And I guess the studio didn't really want to work with a couple, but uh, she did the best read. And yeah, they, they were they were great together. Oh, yeah, the matching mullets, and they're both so tall and gangly, <laughs> and they look alike. But, um, you know, it's funny, because, uh, you know, Cronenberg did not traditionally work with studios, and so it's, it's interesting the way that he had to fight uh, back against some studio constraints to to get what he wanted done, and then his next movie was um, was um, Naked Lunch, which was awesome, made zero dollars, and sent him directly back into independent filmmaking. <laughs> At one point, Tim Burton was tapped to direct. Which, that would have been wrong. That would have been a. To- Can you imagine the totally different vision? Very for the I movie. Mean, nothing Tim against Burton Tim Burton, directed- especially especially oh, no. in '86. You know, he was he was still uh, riding high. You know, after uh, Pee Wee and everything. But um, yeah, I I love I love Cronenberg's approach to this, and I don't think very few people do Mad Scientist as well mm-hmm. as he does. Yeah, and I guess there's a, a different. Uh, there are a few different versions, happier ending versions, were filmed and shot but never used. And uh, they didn't make uh, Jeff Goldblum very happy to even film them, to even consider them, oh. uh, which which they weren't. And it worked out, you know, better for it um, because, as they said, once your your hero, your anti-hero was Seth Brundle, and once he's gone, well, that's pretty much the end of the film. Yeah, uh, pretty much. So, I guess for some reason, I don't know if it was just to please studios or whatever, but they did film alternate endings, but uh, ended up uh, going with the right going one. Going with I mean, the a, right one. It's a beautiful one. movie. Yeah, it it really is. I mean. Beautiful is, is an unusual <laughs> adjective, but yeah, and <laughs> I I don't know why everything comes back to the Simpsons, but I always think of that one Simpsons episode. Remember where they make where they do a parody of the fly, and and uh, Homer has the teleporter, and he he's trying to use it <laughs> to go to the upstairs bathroom from the downstairs, <laughs> and Marge steps in just at the last second. Hilarious, but uh, yeah, good stuff. Uh, the fly from 1986, David Cronenberg's version. Finally making it on our list here of creature features because what he turns into, the Brundle fly, is oh definitely God. a creature. Yeah. Remember when they first show how he eats? Yeah. And then he ends up eating the you know um, her uh, ex-boyfriend's arm? Yeah. Woo! Yeah. Nasty. You Nasty. know what, though? Before we move on to number four, should we talk about some rules, come to think? Oh, I'm sorry. Did we not s- settle on the rules? We didn't. Your willy-nilly rules? They're not willy or nilly. <laughs> Go ahead. I just wanted to point out that, you know, I mean, if you just take in every imaginable monster and try to pare down to creature features, well, it's nearly impossible. So I wanted to just point out that um, there are no vampires or zombies on this list because they're people. Let's, I mean, they're just people. Come on. So anyway. Zombies are people, too. The zombies are I people, I saw that too. on a bumper sticker. <laughs> so anyway, so if you're waiting to see whether Night of the Living Dead makes a creature feature list, it's not gonna, even though I love it. It's just I had to start pruning. And then, you know, there are, there are just a, uh, there are so many utterly brilliant creature features. And and I think the two that first come to anybody's mind would be obviously Godzilla and then also King Kong. I'm I'm just going to go out there and say it. I know you're all tired of hearing it. They're not horror films. They're not. So they're not on this list either because they're great. Not horror movies. Sometimes scary. A little bit sometimes. There's not nearly enough carnage and gore and bloodshed for me to consider them horror movies. So all there right. you go. All right. And then 
the also rans, like the closest, the ones that didn't make this list, just in case you want to tune out right now. Should I tell them? Um, and American Water from London just didn't. It was gonna. It was almost there. And then I gave it the fly instead. And the then, naked American man just stole my balloon. And then and then also Dog Soldiers, which is oh. my my other favorite werewolf but. movie. Well, we'll just keep it. Okay. And then another another Fright Club favorite that almost made it didn't make it slither. Oh yeah. How that, we love it. We, how we do love it. How yeah. we love it. And That's, then another the host. Mm-hmm. Just talked about that. Yeah. That that was another one that was really well, very close. That's a full on creature feature. There's no other way to describe it. And that would have been probably number six if I hadn't knocked. There were too many number sixes for yeah. us to do the fuzzy math. The other one is The Hallow, which which probably wasn't nearly close enough, but it's a great little, fairly new, I think you can stream it on Netflix, Irish creature feature. Pretty fun. Well, those are good, all, those are good you know, bubbling unders, but we've got a good solid list here. And speaking of dog soldiers, that is Neil Marshall, and uh, he comes in at number four, another one of our favorites from 2005, The Descent. There's only one way out of this chamber, and that's down the pipe. This is not good, guys. So that's right. That is director Neil Marshall, not our friend Knack Mac, Neil McRoberts. <laughs> I confused them for a long time. My apologies again to both. Um, so, yeah, Neil Marshall, who also did Dog Soldiers. I mean, just brilliant. Just two utterly brilliant movies. Oh, man. And um, The Descent, though, I got to think we all agree is a better film. I mean, especially in the horror genre. It is terrifying. It is. It's, it's a better film, and he has a bigger budget. Uh, the, you know, the effects are better. Everything yeah. is just kind of up up one level. Uh, but Dog Soldiers was great. Don't and get me funny. wrong. Dog Soldiers was also funny. Yeah, and one of the things, I think one of the, maybe a, a, it seems like maybe a little director's choice, but I think it probably paid off. At his insistence, all the crawlers, all the monsters were professional actors. They weren't stuntmen or stunt people mm. because he wanted to give them, you know, approach, exactly, yeah. approach it from an actor's perspective. And I think that that really uh, uh, paid off. I yeah. mean, you may not see them, that many minutes into right. the film, but man, they make an impression. They do. Oh my god! And um, but one of the things I loved when I saw this movie the first time, uh, and I did not know anything about it. I screened it and reviewed it, so I knew zero about it. Um, and and I'm claustrophobic, as you know. So I was already emotionally wrung out by the time she breaks her leg. By the time she breaks uh -huh. her leg, and then when when the lead character, right, Sean McDonald, when she gets caught and can't. And they, I know, and then, the, I mean, we haven't even seen monsters yet, oh, and I'm hyperventilating. This movie is already absolutely terrifying me. So, you know, you know, 40 minutes in, the first time you see a crawler, I, I was just beside myself. And you know, apparently, I mean, it was, I was full of glee about I don't know film. if you've noticed this, because we've, we've seen this movie many times, but there is a very early shot of a crawler. Yeah. It's not long after they start the descent in the cave that they light up red, mm -hmm. and then Sarah he hears laughter, yeah. and checking it out, in the background to the left, you see a silhouette. Yeah. So that's really the first time. It may not always be caught. Right. I don't think I even noticed that till I'd seen it probably four times. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, but it's awesome. And if you haven't seen the movie, it, it is. It's a, a, a girl's weekend. They get together, and yeah. they're having an adventure, and they're going to do a little cave. Spelunking. Uh, spelunking, cave dwelling, uh, cave exploring. But what they don't know is the leader, Juno, uh, has decided, oh, this is not one that has been mapped out yet. We, she wanted us, you know, she wanted the gang to put their stamp on it and, and to uh, discover it 
for the very first time. So that's not a good idea. You know, one of the things I think that make this movie work so well is because it is reminiscent of a lot of other films. But in other films like this, the five or six people who go and get trapped in some, you know, they're like Green Berets or something like that. You know, I mean, these are just weekend you know, yeah. uh, Juno's kind of a a, yeah, a badass a little is. bit, but you're yeah. right. You're right. You know, they're but basically they're 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 you. They're whoever you yeah. are sitting there watching the movie. It'd be like if you decided for a weekend, you and a bunch of your friends are going to go do this cave yeah. thing, yeah. and at the last minute, your dumbass friend tells you that nobody else has ever been in this cave. <laughs> I'd kill that person. Yeah. And not um, only that, but what's cool is every girl, each girl is from a different country. Yeah, I've got. Uh, uh, um, yeah, you've got Ireland. Certainly, is yeah. the one who breaks her leg, and then Juno is American, and and uh, Scotland and England are in there. And so once once they get down there, they they encou- got sisters. They must both be from the same country. Oh yeah, they encounter these uh, crawlers, these monsters that are just so freaky looking. They're all white and they have no eyes because it's totally dark down there. They right. wouldn't have any uh, use for them. You don't have any backstory about them. What's the deal? But no, you don't need you don't you need don't. it. They're monsters. And uh, oh it, my god, it's so good and, and it's awesome. And you you brought up um, dog soldiers. Uh, among the bones that Sarah falls into uh, is a wolf's head, which came from one of the werewolves. Ah, from, so they got that in there, which nice. is awesome. But, but uh, yeah, the way they look and 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 the way that they, it, you might see a silhouette, but but then when you finally get a good look at them, it's it's just so freaky. Yeah. And when they filmed the movie, um, uh, Marshall kept what they looked like, you know, secret from the actresses. For the longest, longest oh, time, so they would be so yeah. frightened because those are just freaky looking things. They totally are. And you know, whenever we talk about this movie, I generally warn people that there are two different endings. And uh, when I saw it, I saw it a couple times in the theater, and I saw what was the American ending, which I prefer, to be honest with you. But when I first rented it with my older sister, um, I didn't realize that the one we got had the original European ending. <laughs> it's a much grimmer ending, and one of us got beat to shit over that. <laughs> oh, my God. My sister was so mad. So just be aware that our stamp of approval is on the uh, American ending. Right. I don't know which one you prefer, but we like that one better. And you might find it, if you've seen the movie, you probably find it uh, easy, to under, easy to believe that the crawlers were designed to resemble Nosferatu mm-hmm. uh, because they do. They yeah, don't have they do. the the, they, ear, the, the ears, ears aren't no. as big, no. but they really do, yeah. and they're just they're fearsome. So that is uh, number four on our creature feature list from 2005. Neil Marshall's The Descent. We've talked about that one before and love it. And uh, well, another one that we've talked about a lot uh, and love it. But obviously, if you're going to talk about creature oh, features, you can't not have it. It's got to be there from 1982. John Carpenter's The Thing. I know I'm human. Some of you are still human. This thing doesn't want to show itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. It'll fight if it has to, but it's vulnerable out in the open. If it takes us over, then it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill it. And then it's one. You guys gonna listen to Gary? He can feed one of those things! So as we've said many times, because this has made many a list, we love this movie. This is, I think... John Carpenter's best film. Oh yes, and I'm not put that does not put down Halloween. What what is my what is my ringtone, George? It's Halloween. It's a Halloween the theme. theme. I love Halloween. I'm not, but this movie is just brilliant. It is, and what it doesn't do, I, I think, a couple of things that set us apart, that set it apart, aside from the effects or anything else like that. When you get down to the crux of it, it has relatively intelligent characters. Yeah. That do that don't do really absolutely absurdist things. I mean, there are there are choices that some of the characters make, but still. And it doesn't pander. It doesn't pander to the audience. It doesn't pander to normal, uh, quote-unquote, 
horror movie cliches. It doesn't do any of that, and I think that sets it apart, and it especially helps it that has that it has aged so well. It has. So two of the things that I think are the most important about number one, um, actually, is, which I guess would be number two. The actors are really very good, and that's not always the case in John Carpenter films, but these are very, very talented actors. Um, Keith David, we all love Keith David. Love Keith Wilford David. Brimley, character actor for a, a thousand years. Uh, Kurt Russell is great. You know, Richard Dicer. I mean, really, really capable actors. But for me, um, it's, the, his, it's Carpenter's ability to exploit the claustrophobic internal nature of most of the film and then the just isolation and and just death of the outdoor just frozen tundra i think that you know you get you are so they are so trapped yeah and and no matter what there's no escaping it and i think that that visually he captures that just brilliantly yeah and especially when you think about most of it in that sub-zero, you know, setting was filmed in Los Angeles when it was like 90 <laughs> degrees outside. So the fact that they captured that, yeah, you're right. It's incredibly claustrophobic. They're so trapped. And uh, it's one of, it might have been the first, I think it was, the first John Carpenter film that he didn't score himself and he ended up getting a score from Ennio Morricone. Right, who just won his first who Oscar. just won his first Oscar for The Hateful Eight, which is fantastic. <laughs> to be fair, actually, he won a Razzie for this score. Which That's is amazing. ridiculous. That is I know. ridiculous. But, but you on. know, like so many great films, like The Shining, like so many great films, this movie was panned when it came out. 2001. Nope. Right. Yeah. Nobody yeah. went to see it. Nope. And, uh, and critics hated it, which is unbelievable to me. I can't imagine what anybody, what fault anybody found in this film. Well, you know those film critics. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that happens sometimes. And, and, and it's a movie that where you take a film like um, all American Beauty, Forrest Gump, Films that were uh, really praised at first, and then they have not aged well. No. Uh, this one is Million the, Dollar Baby. Yeah, Million Dollar Baby. This is the opposite. The yeah. more it goes on, you look back on that, and I'm sure the effects are, you know, of, of the time, uh, but they're still pretty good. I um, think so, too. They, they really are. But uh, you look at it and think, yeah, you, you just appreciate how it's constructed as a, as a horror movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's, I, yeah. and it's actually a lot more uh, faithful to the original novel or short story who goes there than the thing from another world which right was, which was the first movie in 1951 this one is actually more faithful to that story um and it's just awesome in so many ways and uh we've talked about it so often you know all the little um homages the little easter eggs to other horror movies and there's a ton in there but uh, it's one that if of course if you haven't seen you got to see it and if you have seen it it's one that is never unwelcome you're no. always going to watch that exactly always going to watch yeah it. it's just like what's going to be number two if this movie is on tv i just leave it on right exactly from actually number two and number one number two oh both they, they might be the one yeah, the, one two and three yeah. if this is on tv we're watching exactly it. yeah uh well die hard's another that's because that's my number one movie of all time but not a horror movie anyway number two definitely one of those that you leave it on from 1979 alien <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. So, Geiger's Oscar-winning creature. Oh. Holy shit. I guess it went through a lot of different uh, incantations and one of the, a lot of different designs before they got to the, to the, um, final version but one of them didn't even have eyes Ooh. you think about the, yeah. the crawlers from yeah. the descent yeah but it, it looks 
fantastic. Oh my god, everything about everything about that creature. You know, like the sucker one that comes out first, oh. and then the way it just grows exponentially, and it's got that second set of jaws, and it bleeds acid. Is there anything about this monster that isn't perfect? It is. It is perfect. I remember very distinctly seeing this at the movie theater when it first came out, uh, and that chest scene, the chest. Oh. You talk about, chest explosion. oh my lord, people were just, what is going on? <laughs> it was fantastic. But yeah, the face hugger monster, that oh my alone, God. everything about it is so, is so horrific. And then, you know, in the short amount of time from the uh, baby little alien to when you see it again, and it's so huge. Oh my God. You know, and, and also there's a very much of a claustrophobic feel to this because to they're the f- stuck on that ship. Right. As we've said before, and as many people have said, this is, this is basically a haunted house film. Um, and, and one of the reasons that it works better than a haunted house film is that, you know, when you're watching a haunted house film, you're thinking to yourself, just get out. Well, there's no place for them to go. They are trapped inside this. And it's not like one of those cool, you know, like spaceships we were used to. It was this rickety old yeah, tub. And you yeah. think, I don't even know how that stays afloat. Yeah, which was awesome. And yeah. just, just a little nod to how horrific these uh, designs were that Geiger, his initial drawing, some of his initial designs, he was going through the airport with them. They were held by U.S. Customs because they were just alarmed <laughs> at what they saw. And the writer, Dan O'Bannon, had to go to LAX to explain to them they, they, they were designs for a horror movie to get him out of trouble. They thought, what is going on with this guy? <laughs> and, of course, Geiger has designed so many yeah. classic, classic yeah. things. But that, that's got to be the coup de grace. Uh, uh, his yeah. alien monster is just fantastic. Uh, and as we've talked about before, it was never filmed... Ridley Scott never films um, him straight on right? Uh, because he didn't want to give any sort of shot where you might see the guy inside the suit. Mm. Yeah, so uh, smart because it looks so, the way he shoots it from angles and cutaways and then the tail is whipping oh around my God. and you never know just what part of its weaponry it's going to unleash on yeah. you. Yeah, and you know, and we love the second one, obviously. But and as we mentioned before, uh, the second one is a great action movie, like an epic, outstanding action movie. But the first one is a horror film. Well, I think that we could make a good argument for the second one being a horror movie. I don't think so. No. Uh, but I can see and that. Certainly for a creature feature, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, this is a horror countdown, and uh, and so we've just got the first one on here. And the original um, cut was oh, well over three hours long. Uh, and what I, a really Scott movie! Shut <laughs> up. And I guess it included a, a sex scene between Dallas and Ripley ah. to, uh, you know, kind of speak on, you know, how they deal with urges when they're so long in space. But they kind of visited that a little bit in Prometheus mm. with uh, Charlize Theron and uh, Idris Elba. They have a little encounter there. And, well, uh, basically, you got to think to yourself, Charlize Theron and Idris Elba, they would just have to like nod. Like, <laughs> we're yes, the most attractive we're people the here. Superior <laughs> humans. We're going to have to go ahead and take care of this. But yeah, but they uh, they cut that from obviously. If you have to cut something from three hours and twelve minutes of, of, of movie, that was one of the things. But uh, it does. It seems needless to me. It I mean, does, I think, it does. I think I mean, the film as it is is brilliant. I think Ian Holm is so good in this movie. Yeah, oh my so god, good. he's so good. He's so creepy and awful. Yeah. So that is um, number two from nineteen seventy nine. Alien, a fantastic creature feature. And that could only leave room for number one. And, man, you talk about a movie that if you see it's on, you just leave it there because yeah. you know wherever it's going to be, middle, beginning, or end, it's going to be great. From 1975, it's Jaws. It was seen by 67 million people. It took two years to make. 
were shown in 40 countries in 17 different languages. Go, 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 go. Nominated for 18 awards. Hurry up, he's coming straight for us. Don't screw it up now. Don't wait for me. Now, shoot! And it wasn't Jack the Ripper. It was a shark. If you forgot what terror is like, the original Jaws is back. Coming soon for a limited engagement at a theater near you. Now, as I said, we both have kind of stories about this movie. I'll just tell you mine first. When I was a kid, we were vacationing in Martha's Vineyard because we were going to, my brother and I, were going to Joe Namath's instructional football camp, which used to be a thing, and he had it at Nichols College, which was right there in the area. So anyway, in, in Martha's Vineyard. So we were vacationing there while they were filming this movie. Now, we didn't know that much about it, except that it had been a, a, a best-selling novel. But we saw these people walking around with these Jaws t-shirts on. And then we didn't really see them filming scenes, but we saw out in the water all this equipment, all this stuff going on. And that's where they were filming out there. with. So we couldn't really see it as, as you know, when they were shouting action and rolling cameras. But we were on the scene there in Martha's Vineyard when they were, uh, when they were filming Jaws. And we'll get to yours here in a little bit, which is also awesome. But, uh, man, what a great, 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 great movie. I mean... We watched it, um, I don't know, it's been a few months ago. It popped up on TV. And mm-hmm. I, just, I just tweeted on our Twitter account, at Mad Wolf, uh, watching Jaws, what an awesome movie. And so many people just chimed in. Oh, yeah, yeah, because after all this time, it's just so great. It is. And, and, you know, it's one of the very, very rare occasions where the film is better than the book. Yes. You know, I mean, it's not just that they did a nice job of trimming where they needed to trim. I mean, they actually, it's a superior product, it really is. And Peter Benchley, who wrote the novel, wasn't happy with the uh, changing of the ending. But it's so much better, even though, and I know it's been really proven, I think Mythbusters did a thing on this movie where if you shoot a, a scuba tank with a gun, it's not going to blow up like that. Okay, fine. You know? We're right. also not going to get a shark that follows you around like <laughs> exactly. that. So, you know. But um, the original, if you didn't read the book, uh, the original ending, the shark just dies out of uh, exhaustion and being beaten up. It's swimming toward Brody. It's going to eat him. He closes his eyes to, you know, what's to come, and then nothing happens, and the shark just dies. I mean, no, we want it blown up yeah, with a scuba do. tank. Yeah, we do. So as a, as a movie goes, yes, I will take that ending 1,000%. And it was a very, very young Steven Spielberg yeah. who got this gig. He had only directed the Sugarland Express, I think. Uh, well, he directed Duel, yeah. the TV movie, yeah, which was great. Yeah. But his only film, his only film was the Sugarland Express, and he got, I think he was 27 years old. Crazy. And he got uh, control of this movie, and, and of man. Course, famously, the shark didn't work, you know, and they right. had to, but luckily, that's the case, because, you know, in, in a less is more approach, the, the fa- and, and it really exploits the fact, one of the things that I think is the scariest about water is you, you can't see what's in there. Right. And, and and it really exploits that. It's like, it could be anywhere. Oh, my God, where's it at? Yeah. Um, the fact that you don't see the shark is... Four is, minutes, I think. It has four minutes of screen time. Is, you know, it makes those few moments, like shoveling chum, you know, <laughs> that much bigger. Like, bah! there it is. It's so great. Not only that, but when you watch it for the 83rd time, take a notice of how many shots Spielberg frames just about water level. Mm-hmm. To give you the uh, the sense that you're treading water, yes, which makes it even more oh terrifying. Oh my god, yeah, so so scary. And you know, one of the best one of the best opening sequences um, in any horror film, which is which is a countdown. We are going to do the best opening sequences in horror films. Well, and if you're going to talk about the opening sequence, you got to talk about this music. 
I mean, got to be one of the top five themes of all time. That's just totally, when you first hear that, I guess a tuba or whatever it is coming in, just, and then it slowly gains speed, and it just it makes, it's, it's so perfect to what this movie is about. Is it not just a, like a stand-up bass? I thought the whole thing was like a big stand-up bass. I, I don't know. Whatever, we don't know what whatever it is, it but it sounds be. awesome. It sounds yeah, incredible. Yeah, the whole score is just and he brilliant. Just, and, it, it really oh my is. God. And then when it's it picks, terrifying. Oh, yeah. And then when it picks up and the boats are mo- out in the water, it's all yeah. not. It's just such a great, great theme it and is. a great score. It is. And I think, in fact, Steven Spielberg has commented that he, didn't, he doesn't think the movie would have been half as successful without that theme. I, I don't know about that. No, I think but... he's right. I think he's right. And very much in, in keeping with Halloween, that Halloween would not have oh. been nearly as terrifying without that score. You know, Jaws just wouldn't have been. It's iconic for a very good reason. It's so great. It's John Williams, and uh, but uh, that's part of the opening sequence. And also, not long after the opening sequence is the uh, very famous scene where they find the remains of the first uh, swimmer, uh, on the beach, and you see that arm there, and Hope has a story about that. Yeah, my sister, my evil twin, Joy, she used to work with a woman in Boston, and that woman is the arm. Um, and she has a great photo, framed photo. Uh, they didn't tell her, Spielberg, so dug a hole. She's in a hole, and her arm is on the top of a hole, which you can't tell from the way it's shot. It just looks like it's just a severed arm on the beach. And Spielberg did not tell her that he was going to have crabs climbing on her hand. So the photo is of her. She's holding her arm still. She's in a pit screaming, and you can see Spielberg up above <laughs> ground just laughing. <laughs> it's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Well, and originally they tried to use a fake arm. And but, it just didn't look Yeah, good. it didn't look right. It didn't look right at all. So she was, I guess, on on the crew or something? I think, uh, actually, I think she just waited tables in the area. Is that right? I think so. Well, when we were visiting, I did see that photo yeah. that you were talking about, yeah. and it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's great. So that it didn't look, um, didn't look as fake because it was actually a real arm. And one of, one of the things I um, always wondered about uh, over the many times I saw this, especially when I was a kid, there's that scene where um, it's the, n- the nighttime, and um, Brody is, you know, he thinks his gun is going to kill the shark, and he's loading his gun, and then you see there's an actual shooting star yeah. goes across. And it's at the time, I thought it was some sort of imperfection. in the, But no, that's an actual shooting star. Oh, what happened? Uh, see, I assume that Spielberg put it there because no. he puts it in everything. Well, apparently. There's one in all, every Indiana Jones movies. There's, there's okay. one. Maybe, maybe he, it happened naturally in this one, and he started adding it to others. Well, but I just so. thought but it was one of his. What I was able to find was that it actually happened. But that's, that's amazing. A good, that's a good point. Maybe, or maybe, yeah, maybe he was inspired yeah. to do it. Yeah. Uh, but it's the one, it's the scene there where he's loading the gun in the dark. And this is actually... One of the five, I think it's still just five, horror films to be nominated for Best Picture uh, mm. at the Oscars. Um, the Exorcist, Silence of the Lambs, The Sixth Sense, Black Swan. You call Black Swan a horror movie? Yeah, I could okay. see that. I could see it. Yeah, and this. So uh, it, it didn't win. But, uh, man, it's such a great, great movie. And, and so well, it's so well acted. You've got, you know, you've got Roy Scheider, Richard Dreyfuss, Robert Shaw. <laughs> Apparently, not only was Robert Shaw f- fond of the booze, but apparently he hated Richard Dreyfuss and made his life tough. I get the feeling that Richard Dreyfuss was not popular on this set from Is everything right? I've ever read. Yeah, But uh, I've read a couple of books on the making of this movie and, you know, the, the very famous and incredible scene where Quint, Robert Shaw, tells the story of the USS Indianapolis. Yeah. Apparently they had filmed that once, at least once before, where Robert had had a few drinks. Mm. And it did not go well. And he then, I guess, really sheepishly apologized 
and did it straight and did it in one take. Wow. And that scene is that insane. Is, it is a powerful scene. It really is. It's, it's such great. a powerful scene. So, it's great. And, and so many uh, powerful scenes in this. I mean, the uh, Scheider, I guess, improvised. You're going to need a bigger boat. Nice. I mean, <laughs> oh, my God. What a great line. What a great line. It, it's, I love Roy Scheider. Yeah, he was great. He and, was. And uh, all three of them. Um, you know, they went through different uh, casting choices. I guess Charlton Heston wanted badly to play Brody. No. Uh, yeah, well, and Steven Spielberg. Brody or Quint? No, uh, Brody. He wanted no. to be the hero. He wow. wanted to be the hero. How uh, bad would that have been? Well, and I guess uh, Spielberg thought there's no way because he was the hero of every movie and people would know the shark. Well, no. Wouldn't kill him, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, And I guess Heston was, was PO'd mm. and uh, Spielberg offered him, years later, offered him a role in his 1941 mm. uh, and he, he turned it down. He, he was still mad. Was Spielberg? <laughs> no, the other guy I always heard was going to play Quint was uh, Sterling Hayden. Oh right, uh, I remember. Yeah, yeah longtime yeah. A- actor. Um, you might remember him. He played the the big boss at the end of Nine to Five. Although he had a long and distinguished yeah, career. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the old Western Johnny Guitar. There's a ton of them. Anyway, he had massive tax troubles, uh, and I guess he was close to getting that role, but uh, just massive uh, problems with the IRS and couldn't. I could see him. I could see him. He's mm. a big, tall, imposing kind of guy. Yeah, but... But Robert Shaw was great. He was perfect. Robert but, uh, Shaw yeah, was so guess, great. He was yeah, so great. I can see he made Richard Dreyfuss' life a living hell. Well, you know, the, the, the characters uh, don't like each other, so... That's right, yeah. So maybe so, he just worked for the film. Yeah, so it kind of fit. But all in all, the way the, the story shapes up, and once they get out uh, to sea, and Spielberg was very, very careful not to show any shots of land uh, until the very, very end there mm-hmm. to give you the impression that, oh, why don't they just head back? I mean, yeah. they're so close to land. Yeah. You kind of feel like you're out in the open oh, ocean. Oh, yeah. You know, and uh, and how the film, again, it's not scientifically realistic. You know, much more is known about sharks now and about their uh, behavior. Sure. Uh, but, uh, but still, it, you can't argue it makes for an incredible movie. Oh, my God. Yeah, just one of the all-time greats. It really is one of the all-time greats. And one of those movies that uh, changed everything when it came out. And the way that The Exorcist changed everything yes. when it came out. And, um, you know, I didn't, obviously, I did not see this when it was theaters. Um, but my older sister, my oldest sister, uh, did. And she and, and there's a, just a famous story in my family. She she had the uh, upper bunk and my uh, other older sister, Ellen, had the lower bunk. And Julianne woke up. <gasps> She had a nightmare after she saw Jaws. My, my, my parents had to come running in and soothe her, and she went back to sleep. And then as soon as my parents were out of the room, my, my sister Ellen, who had not been allowed to see it because she was too young, just shoved her feet up under Julianne's mattress, <laughs> nearly sent her to the floor and said, now I'll never get to see it. <laughs> I actually, not only did we see it, we were there at Martha's Vineyard when it was being filmed, but because of that, we were sure to see it the opening weekend when it came out. Wow. And I cannot believe your mom let go do that. Well, yeah, we had kind of a connection with it. You know? <laughs> but, um, well, 75, I would have been 11. Mm. So, eh, anyway, um, uh, the scene where the head rolls out of the boat, yeah. uh, I got uh, a gentleman's uh, popcorn uh, that was behind me ended up on my head. <laughs> because, I mean, I jumped as well. Everybody did when that <laughs> head rolls out of that boat. But, yeah, I was wearing some popcorn after that. <laughs> But uh, but happy about it. And one of the other iconic things about this movie is that shot, that jaw oh, yeah, shot. Absolutely, absolutely. It, it, it With Shiders on the beach. Yeah, it's a forward tracking zoom out. I think I think uh, Hitchcock had done it. Well, it's yeah, and it's it's I guess it's a reverse of a shot that was used um, for Vertigo, okay. where they use forward zoom, reverse tracking. Got so yeah. so it is a re- re- that was called the trombone shot. 
Uh, and then a similar shot also uh, was used in a dream sequence in Truffaut's uh, Fahrenheit 451. Oh, okay. But it's come to it has come to be known as the Jaws shot, yeah. and it really is. It's been used in a few movies since then. But you see it, and you think, "Oh, that's that's on the beach in Jaws." Yeah, absolutely. Because what a what a great way to show his Brody's utter horror that his he sudden knows, realization. He knows. Yeah, he the knew beaches should have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That the, the beaches should have been shut down, and that is a scene where um, the boy Alex Kintner, mm. who got who got. Uh, uh, eaten uh, off the raft. Yeah, well, his mom. Well, an incredible bit of coincidence. Um, several decades after the movie, the actress who plays Mrs. Kintner uh, walked into a seafood restaurant and noticed, she noticed on the menu, I hope this story is true, that they had an Alex Kintner sandwich. <laughs> so she commented that she played his mother many years ago. The owner of the restaurant was the boy who played her son. No way. Can you imagine? Oh my God, how awesome is that? I hope that is true. That's awesome. Because that's like a Twilight Zone episode right there. That's awesome. They had not seen each other in years. Oh my God. Yeah, so that's, you know, it's it's all about bringing people together. (laughs) That's what Jaws does. (laughs) The Alex Kintner sandwich. There's just so many things to love about it. But in the end, it comes back to the fact, like you said, if it's on TV, I'm watching it. That's right. And it checks in at number one, of our Creature Features Jaws from 1975. Uh, we've talked about our next Fright Club Live again. Mm-hmm. It is uh, May 11th. Going to have the double feature of Kill List, followed by ben Wheatley's, <laughs> ben Wheatley's newest High Rise. What else is coming up? Next week, we're going to do High School Sucks. Inside the high school. It's why high school sucks. Horror films about that. And then the next week, we're going to do, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right now, to prepare yourselves, clowns. Take necessary precautions. That's right. Because it's going to be clowns. That's all good. So, all right, you get comments on the creature features, let us know. Uh, always Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F on Twitter is a good way to do it. You can check in on Facebook. We're Mad Wolf Columbus. And um, You know, if you're tooling around the web, uh, I, I do the Saturday Screamers for ScreenRelish.com. And we also do a bunch of other stuff for them, so check them out. And, uh, and we want to uh, congratulate our fellow podcasters at Golden Spiral Media, many of which are nominated for some podcast awards. And we want to say best of luck in particular to our senior Aussie correspondent and good friend Corey Metcalf, whose triple cast is up for an award. And I'm going to say vote for him, even though I have a bone to pick with a recent triple cast in which he said The Terminator was a horror film. I disagree politely. Yeah, Corey's Triple Cast is nominated in the entertainment category, also in the People's Choice category, uh, the Arrow Squad podcast. TV and film, it's the Blacklist Exposed and Society and Culture. That is Stuff I Learned Yesterday, the podcast there. So uh, if you want to vote, we'd and love that's it. Stuff I Learned Yesterday, that's Daryl. That's yeah, uh, Daryl, bo- our boss over there. Yeah, at it's, Golden a good, it's a good podcast. He it does. is. So it's at goldenspiralmedia.com slash podcast awards. Uh, and good luck to all the nominees. Hope they bring home some hardware. So all that's coming up. Again, check in. Keep the conversation going um, anytime at all. We love it from you Fright Clubbers. And uh, we got good stuff coming up. Hope to see you and hear from you then. Until then. I'm Hope Madden. And I'm George Wolf, And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Stay frightful, my friends. Cue that monster jam. <laughs>